Welcome to In Social Work, the podcast series of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work at www.insocialwork.org. We're glad you could join us today. The purpose of In Social Work is to engage practitioners and researchers in lifelong learning and to promote research to practice and practice to research. We're In Social Work. Hello, I'm Charles Sims, and this is In Social Work. Human migration is inevitable, a natural phenomenon as old as the human race. People have left and continue to leave their places of origin for many reasons. For some, it is to escape a natural or human-induced calamity. For others, to find a better place to live or for more economic opportunities. For still others, it may be the desire to experience something new and exciting. The work of our guest for this podcast is to better understand human migration so that social work might be in a better position to address the complex circumstances that surround it. Ariti Maleku received her MSW from Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri, and her BSW from Kathmandu University at St. Xavier's College in Kathmandu, Nepal. She is a doctoral student and adjunct faculty member at the School of Social Work at the University of Texas at Arlington. In addition to her research and teaching responsibilities, Ms. Maleku has a background that includes international adoption, international social work, economic development for women, health education, and radio journalism. She has written and presented on issues of human migration, healthcare, and human rights and social issues outside of the United States. Ms. Maleku's current research interests include gender and human migration, social determinants of health and health equity, cultural competency, and social development and sustainability. In this podcast, Ms. Maleku defines the types of human migration as well as explores its circular nature. She describes how migration has changed from the late 19th and early 20th century to how it is today. She also reviews and discusses what she sees as the current trends in human migration and the reasons for them. Further, she explores both the problems and opportunities associated with human migration, also pointing out that migration is a fundamental human right. Ms. Maleku considers the current place of social work in working with this population, believing that the profession has some work to do to become more effective. Ms. Maleku offers guidance for changes in practice philosophy, as well as concrete suggestions for social work practice. Ms. Maleku was interviewed for this podcast in June of 2014 by Dr. Isak Kim, Assistant Professor at the University of Buffalo School of Social Work. Thank you for joining us, Artie, and welcome. So before we begin, could you tell us what sparked your interest in global migration issue? Thank you. Well, my interest in global migration issue comes from several levels, both uh, professionally and personally. 
As an immigrant myself, the issue of migration is something very close to my heart. Since I came to the United States in 2002 from Nepal to pursue graduate studies, I had always been interested in the issues of belonging and citizenship and how this act of moving across borders affected individuals, communities, and states on a more transnational level. In addition, my work experience has also contributed to my interest in this area. After my MSW degree, my work experience as a social worker working in international adoption saw another side of migration focused on building families on a transnational stage. I also worked with the Healthcare Foundation in Missouri where I was involved with a lot of nonprofit organizations working with immigrant and refugee communities. And here I saw the effect of migration played out on the healthcare arena with its own complexities. And I saw that although poverty and lack of health insurance contributed to the health disparities faced by the immigrant and refugee population, individual medical practices and also culturally competent healthcare also played fundamental roles in addressing these health inequities among this population. And so the issues of culture and uh, cultural competence resonated with me as I saw these factors as systemic actors, if you will, in the phenomena of migration. And besides these, I also volunteered to provide a sort of a cultural conduit for various community-based organizations working with immigrant and refugee populations. And building on these different work and life experience, my academic interest in global migration issue has been continually solidified through my involvement in different projects during my doctoral education at UT Arlington. And currently, my research is looking at the social determinants of immigrant health more from a gendered lens. I would also like to acknowledge Dr. Doreen Elliott, who is a professor at the School of Social Work at UT Arlington, who has provided me a lot of encouragement and support for me to refine my research interest in human migration issues. That's great. So it sounds like there are on different level, personal, professional, and academic level interests that you've shared throughout your life. So for the listeners who aren't familiar with the topic, could you briefly describe the phenomenon of human migration? As far as human migration, in essence, it's about the movement of people. It's basically the permanent change of residents of individuals and groups. It's a natural social phenomenon that's taking place within very different contexts, such as military conquest, flight of refugees, expulsion, or even enslavement. But migrants have also traveled in search of economic opportunities, new settlement areas, or even trade routes. In talking about the phenomena of human migration, We know that human history has always been the history of migration from its origin to the present situation. People have traditionally moved to survive in search of food, moving away from danger and death, and basically they have moved towards opportunities for life. So migration, in a sense, is tied to this human spirit which seeks adventure and and pursues dreams and finds hope even in the most adverse circumstances. What is interesting is that these movements affect the communities migrants leave and communities that receive these migrants. And this movement impacts communities along the route of transit as 
well. And in the world today, people around the globe are moving to nations and continents for a variety of different reasons, to explore opportunities, escape um, difficult circumstances, can be due to effects of natural disasters, such as climate change. And so human migration, therefore, has always been inevitable. And in the 21st century, I also see it as this human face of globalization. But whatever the situation may be, this influx of people with a variety of traditions, values, and skills, and expectations is also associated with implications for services from individuals like a social adjustment to public policies and regulations. And I'd also like to add that currently about 4% of the world's population live outside their countries of origin. And while this 4% might sound like a small number, this is equivalent to the population of Brazil, which is in fact the fifth most populous country in the world. I'd also like to add that traditional debates about migration has frequently pointed to these push-and-pull factors as the reasons for migration. And this push-and-pull theory of migration looks at individuals and their decisions to migrate, and often these factors occur at the same time. Push factors are circumstances in the countries of origin that causes people to immigrate, such as poverty, war, environmental disasters, and so forth. And pull factors are the factors in the destination countries that make immigration attractive, such as economic opportunities, can be political freedom, climate, and so forth. And with the exception of human trafficking and refugee flight, this push and pull theory considers migration as an individual choice. So it sounds like there is a this sort of factors that complicates things, not only at an individual level, but across different continents and across different countries and so on and so forth. So in talking about human migration, as you mentioned, there is the human migration that happened throughout the human history. How is human migration different in the 21st century compared with, let's say, migration during the turn of the 20th century? This is a very interesting question, and the current increase in international migration has in fact continued from the early 20th or even the 19th centuries, where we've witnessed the first great wave of globalization, and this is partly due to mass migration in a world of unrestricted migration movements and also due to declining costs of transportation, especially between Europe and the Western Hemisphere, and especially the Western Hemisphere, which the Americas, which is was coined as the New World. And there was a dominant trend for people to immigrate from Europe to this New World in the period from 1820 to just before the First World War. And immigration into the main European countries was a major phenomenon during that period. However, this pattern of migratory movements and the preferred destination of migrants shifted from the 19th to the 20th century and now to the 21st century. And while some of the main settlement countries like Canada, United States, and Australia continue to attract large uh, inflows of immigrants, Europe became a major destination for migrants, many of whom came from Africa, Latin America, and Asia. And as a result, while the largest immigrant to population stocks in the New World countries were recorded in the late 19th and early 20th century, the highest stocks in Europe are those currently recorded in the 21st century. Also now, in proportion to the national population, however, the Persian Gulf countries 
hold the largest share of migrants, which is about 35% of their population, and they mostly come from South Asia and Egypt. What has been specific, though, in the 21st century is that we see a lot of families and educated women on the move, and uh, currently family migration is the dominant motive among inflows of permanent immigrants. There are two other trends in migration that have attracted much attention in the 21st century, which are, number one, the growing feminization of migration flows and the increased selectivity of migration towards the highly skilled. And for the world as a whole, the share of women among immigrants has grown slowly from about 47% in the early 1960s to almost 50% in 2013, 2014. Also now in the U.S. alone, female immigrants make up almost one half of the U.S. immigrant population, which is about 52%, and their immigration rates have outpaced males since 1960s. Another trend is the increase in circular migration which is particular in the 21st century as well. And circular migration is this temporary and usually repeated movement of a migrant worker between home and host areas, typically for the purpose of employment. And although it is an established pattern of population mobility, whether it's cross-country or rural-urban, it has both advantages and disadvantages. And benefits of um, circular migration include gains in financial capital, human capital, social capital, and so forth, and disadvantages include costs associated with circular migration, such as this phenomena of brain drain, which is basically referred to this flight of human capital or the departure of individuals with technical skills or knowledge from organizations, industries, and geographical regions that negatively affect the home areas. So other weaknesses of uh, circular migration is that it can also create poor working conditions, uh, forced labor, and the inability to transfer acquired skills to home economies. And what has been particularly interesting is that given women still face an unequal access to a tertiary education in many less developed countries, research is showing that this brain drain phenomena is even more stronger for highly educated women. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like there is a lot more than just why people migrate, but who are migrating and where they're migrating to. As you mentioned earlier, there has been just a handful of receiving countries like Canada, United States, and Australia, but now the Europe has gotten into that a trend of receiving migrants from different parts of the world. And you have beginning to mention different types of migrations. Could you just clarify what are some of the different types of global migration that's happening right now? Sure. There are several different types of migration taking place globally. There is internal migration, which is moving to a new home within a state, country, or a continent. There is external migration, which is moving to a new home, crossing political borders. There is immigration, which starts with an E, immigration, which is leaving the country of origin to move to another. And here we can see countries losing population as a result of immigration. Then there is immigration, which starts with an I, which is moving into a new country. And here we see countries gaining population as a result of immigration. There is also return migration, which is when groups of people move back to where they came from originally. 
seasonal migration, which is the process of moving for a period of time with each season or in response to work or climate condition, as in farm workers working for crop harvest or working in cities off-season. And then more and more, there's this pattern of circular migration, as I mentioned before, which is basically the temporary and repeated movement of migrant worker between home and host areas. And in most cases, this is typically for employment purposes. So you've mentioned about migrant workers, and we hear about them off and on in terms of public debates about who are coming to, particularly in the United States, and how are they affecting the local economies and national economies. So how do you classify migrant workers and who are they? As far as migrant workers are concerned, they can be broadly classified into voluntary migrant workers, involuntary migrant workers, or forced migrants and irregular or undocumented migrants. And so as far as voluntary migrants, they are those who come by their own choice. They are often labor migrants seeking work, often unskilled laborers in an attempt to make their standards of living better. They can also be professionals, doctors, academics, or human aid workers and others who plan to remain in the country for a long time or on a permanent basis. Also, in terms of voluntary migrants, the employees of global corporations who may live in the country of immigration but continue a parallel life through family and friendship and professional contacts in their country of origin. And they visit the homeland frequently for both work and personal reasons. And they are known as transnationals. And the process of this circular migration, as I mentioned before, is increasingly recognized as a direction for policy in the future. There is also involuntary migrants. They can be forced migrants as refugees, asylees, internally displaced persons, stateless persons who are fleeing war, conflict, disasters, and so forth. And it also includes victims of human trafficking. Then we have the irregular undocumented immigrants. And it's important to note that some of the reasons people become undocumented are either outstaying their visa, particularly students or older family members of legal immigrants, Sometimes it applies to business people also. This category currently accounts for about 45% of undocumented immigrants in the U.S., which is down from 48% prior to 9-11. Another reason of becoming undocumented is human trafficking across political borders, and this is where third parties become involved in the process and exploit the migrants for money, sex, labor, and other different purposes. And also crossing the border through different illegal means, such as through tunnels and car trunks, shipping containers, uh, train containers, etc., are other reasons as to how people become undocumented or irregular migrants. So when I think about migrant workers, they are temporary, or at least so they seem, but it sounds like they are not necessarily migrant in the terms of temporary basis, but they're more permanent in terms of the makeup of the nation, let's say, like in the United States. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. So I guess that complicates things, obviously. And we know that because of that, that contributes to this huge demographic changes in the United States, particularly, and it's taking place at a much higher and rapid pace. But we also know that it's happening across the world, as you mentioned. So looking at the global trends, what are some key changes that are impacting human migration? 
So as far as demographic changes are concerned, I might refer to some of the new facts and figures from the UN Department of Economic and Social Affairs here. So the new figures show that 232 million people, which is about 4% of the world's population, living abroad worldwide, compared to 175 million in 2000 and 154 million in 1990. And compared to other regions of destination, Asia saw the largest increase of international migrants since 2000, adding to approximately about 20 million migrants in the last 13 years. And this growth was mainly fueled by the increasing demand for foreign labor in the oil-producing countries of Western Asia and in Southeastern Asian countries with rapidly growing economies such as Malaysia and Singapore and Thailand, etc. And also 74% of international migrants are of working age between 20 and 64 years of age. And this is about evenly spread between genders with women accounting for nearly 50% of all international migrants. That's interesting figures. So, as you mentioned earlier, again, the human migration has always been happening, and it is an edible phenomenon. And because of all these changes that's happening, particularly recently in the United States and elsewhere in the world, it creates a lot of intense debates about the pros and cons of human migration and the ins and outs of people and what kind of draws them particularly away from you know, these resource-driven countries and who's receiving them, as you mentioned earlier, about the brain drain. So could you discuss some of the problems and also the opportunities associated with human migration in this time? Sure. And so, as we know, although migration has always been a strong impetus towards human development, it's increasingly being taken as a threat or a problem. And, of course, the migration debate continues. And nowadays, migration is taken as a threat caused by a number of fears, one being the idea that migrants are expensive and a burden to the welfare system. Another fear is that the host countries will lose what is perceived as the national identity especially through the influx of people of varied cultures and tradition and often there are no integration strategies and so different ethnic groups live in separate neighborhoods and because of these fears, migration policies in the Western industrialized countries have become increasingly restrictive. For example, the U.S. has built a giant fence with high-tech surveillance to seal the southern border with Mexico. The EU is also fortifying its borders, and so migration is increasingly perceived primarily as a security problem. The EU is trying to block the migrants before they even get to their territories, and this is done through bilateral agreements with departure and transit countries and increasing refugee routes through land and water. And so there's many human rights groups that believe that many refugees with legitimate claim for asylum are blocked this way and that it's becoming increasingly difficult to get to EU. And as a result, migration attempts are also becoming very risky and disastrously. There was this recent data that showed that between 1988 and 2010, about 15,000 people died while attempting to reach the EU. And this was more people than any other borders in the world. And so this is not only a problem in terms of ethics, but it's also questionable in terms of economics. And in countries with restrictive migration policies, 
there are very few opportunities of social mobility to migrants, making them the most vulnerable groups in a society. And their relative risk factors are often more than the resources available to them, adding to their vulnerability further. But what is not often considered are the advantages of migration that provide a lot of different opportunities. For example, it contributes to the economic development both in the host and the migrant countries of origin. And there's a new estimate from the World Bank that suggests that over $300 billion are transferred to migrants' home countries every year. And this economic contribution through remittance is more than developmental assistance that's provided to developing countries. And in European countries as well, as many other industrialized countries like Japan, birth rate has dropped to low levels below the replacement rate. And as a result, there is a declining population on one hand and an aging society on the other. And so experts also believe that many countries will have to heavily depend on migration to balance their employment needs and also stabilize their retirement system. But migration also adds to cultural diversity of host countries, as we know, and because migration highlights the strain between individuals and nations, it's important to also remember that these discussions should always keep the humanity of those who are moving and those who do not move. And so, of course, the human condition is complex and so are the reasons for migration. And so information and discussion on migration therefore should be honest conversations where it should include the interests and agendas and concerns of all members of the affected communities in the context of collective humanity. Also, in every part of the world, there's uh, now an increasing understanding that economic, social, and cultural benefits of international migration must be effectively realized and that the negative consequences of cross-border movement could be better addressed. So in response to this situation, the Global Commission on International Migration provided this framework for the formulation of a comprehensive global response to the issue of global migration, and they came up with recommendations realizing that restrictive policies are not only a problem in terms of ethics, but questionable economically and politically and in an ever interconnected world. And so the Global Commission supported human migration also as an inalienable human right with a focus on regulated migration policy. Hmm. I want to go back to the idea of circular migration that you mentioned earlier. And you just have mentioned in terms of the economic impact both for the receiving country and the country that the migrants have left. And the economic impact actually is being felt on both sides of the countries, the receiving and the leaving countries. Right. On one hand, of course, it contributes to the economy, but at the same time, there's this phenomena referred to as the brain drain, where this flight of human capital, where people depart with technical skills and knowledge from organizations, industries, and even geographical regions, affect the home areas. And so it does definitely create different poor working conditions and forced labor and also the this inability to transfer acquired skills to home economies. So there's always this negative consequences of that as well. Okay. So I think it's important to recognize that we in the United States as a receiving country, there is a lot of opportunities and pluses in terms of 
receiving these number of migrant people who provide economic development in our own community and across the United States, but also by way of remittance, the economic development is also happening in their home country where they come from. That's correct. I think that's a really interesting point that not many people have thought about. And that creates a lot of interesting issues for the people like us and social workers who are trying to work with this population and increasingly more so because of the concerns that are aired both nationally and internationally, as you mentioned, about the conditions of these migrant workers, including those refugees who aren't able to fend for themselves. So let's kind of move into the issues of our presence, the social work's presence on the human migration issue. How are we doing now in terms of that? That's a very good question. So because social work is a profession of human rights and uh, that the issues of vulnerable population is a great concern to us, human migration definitely is an important area for social work intervention. And also given the demographic changes and needs for services and also the changes in human behavior, the phenomena of migration is important to social work as we work with people across the lifespan. But we have yet to do more in this area as a profession. We have done a lot, but there is yet uh, yet to do in this area. Uh, currently, the area of migration is highly dominated by other disciplines such as economics and political science, geography, and there is very little social work presence in this area. We see that due to the growing numbers of migrants, it is more becoming likely that social workers will meet immigrants and or refugee communities and individuals on their casework, caseloads very frequently, and this is especially true if they are working in large cities. However, most social work education programs do not currently prepare social workers adequately for effective practice with migrant population and this mismatch kind of creates a challenging dilemma for the profession. So we we need new ideologies and models and paradigms for more effective social services delivery. And we need to also extend beyond the mental health model, which is very important, that tends to be the focus of the current model of practice, to a model that also includes macro approaches to social policy and institutional change. And we also need a more pragmatic cultural competency model, and which is highly critical to train social workers to be competent to work with the migrant population. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting idea. I think historically, I think you're right that we as a social workers have done a lot to respond to the needs of the immigrant communities, particularly in larger cities, like as you mentioned. But I think you're right in that that we haven't necessarily had a an educational framework that specifically responded to how we work with this population. And I think that would definitely be something that we need to be mindful about as we move toward a new generation of folks who are coming into the country. So considering that historical trend and historical narratives of social workers doing a lot, but yet having little impact or little presence on this issue of human migration, How can our professional presence make an impact on the issue? And you mentioned about some of the theoretical framework that you're interested in infusing into the social work education. So 
perhaps you can talk more about that. Sure. I see these implications for social work, particularly in the areas of research, definitely education, also policy and practice. Social work as a profession needs to focus on research in the field if we are to participate in policy making and ensuring improvement of services to clients who are migrants. And at this time, there's very little social work research present in this field. Another area that social work can contribute is in the area of gender and migration research. Migration theory has been challenged in the context of gender, as I mentioned before, and it has been argued that traditional migration theory does not explain the circumstances that encourage women to become transnational migrants or to enter into trafficking channels or even to seek refugee resettlement. And so increasingly, migration scholars believe that gender influences the migration process, in particular pre-migration transition across state boundaries and experiences in the receiving country. And so I think social work research can contribute to this understanding of how gender as a social system shapes immigration processes for all immigrants as we are more skilled in understanding these intersections of gender with other social forces, intensive measures in terms of migration. And so more and more longitudinal studies are needed in this area, and I think social workers can really contribute to that. As far as social work practice, as I mentioned before, it needs to extend beyond the mental health model that tends to be the current focus of the current model of practice to, again, including macro approaches to social policy and institutional changes. And also, we need to know the background of the experiences of immigrants and refugees, and particularly refugees, especially to help them with mental health issues such as loss and PTSD that's arising out of traumatic experiences of flight and followed by years in refugee camps. Also, a clinical assessment needs to be more contextual, I think. And as we know, in the U.S., the use of DSM is uh, still controversial in that aspect where we're talking about uh, making it more contextual. Also, social workers have an important public education and then advocacy role to help the general public really understand the value of immigrants for the receiving economies. And this may mean collaboratively working with economists and political scientists and human geographers and other disciplines in a more transdisciplinary approach. We also have a role in assisting the integration of migrants in local communities which we are doing a good job about this through different means like promotion of ESR programs and ensuring availability of low-cost housing and ensuring opportunities for labor participation, addressing issues of xenophobia and, and even racism and, and assisting in educational opportunities at all levels. Also, there is no national office, especially in the U.S., that has this responsibility for immigrant integration policies and these policies are currently very skeletal, ad hoc, or underfunded, if you will. And so social workers can be more involved in lobbying for these social programs and, and play a major role in this social policy formation process. So I think that's important to recognize that we do already advocate for all these human rights issues, the empowerment issues of the people who are disenfranchised. But these aren't necessarily the ones that we systematically educate in while we are while the we are preparing them to become a social worker in schools. And I think that's an interesting point that we're gonna have to make. 
because of the inevitable kind of skills that we are going to need in order to respond to the people that we are working with after we graduate with our degree in the communities that we work, particularly in larger cities, the issues of human migration, immigrants, and refugees are going to be the key people that we will be working with. And that necessarily forces the social work education or social work educators to be mindful about this as we educate the future social workers. And I think that's an important point to to highlight. So I guess, obviously, the next natural questions that comes out of that is, in terms of social work education, what can we do to provide social workers who are competent and ready for this rapid demographic changes, not just in terms of the United States, but in the world? Uh, Sure. As far as social work education is concerned, as I mentioned before, the area of human migration needs to come to the forefront in social work. And social workers uh, need an ever-widening range of cultural competence, not just regionally relevant ethnic minorities, but we also need this broad understanding of other many different ethnicities and cultures. And so we need improved education for transcultural competence, training for working through interpreters. We also need better transcultural assessment instruments and a better global understanding of human migration issues and we need a pragmatic cultural competency model that include experience of migrant populations so we can educate our next generation of social workers to be competent and ready. Also we need a greater understanding of these intersection between local and global cultural competence and international social work that should include both micro and macro social work approaches into a comprehensive effort and not just working in silos and uh, we need to educate students and how to effectively work on an interdisciplinary stage. As I mentioned before, new ideologies are needed, new models, paradigms are needed for more effective social service delivery. And so these need to be the central of social work education. Also, the life cycle of migrant population requires a new approach to services. And so more and more, we are seeing that elderly parents may need to join immigrant families at a later stage in life. And currently, there are no services available to them. Also, there should be an increased awareness of identity issues of migrants at different life stages, maintaining family and friendship networks in two countries. These are also very effective for social work practice. And also the special needs of second-generation migrants who are born in the country of parents' migration also need consideration since there's a lot of value conflicts um, that exist as the generation integrate differently into the whole society. So these different factors need to be at the center of social work education if we are to prepare the next generations of social workers to be competent to work with the migrant population. Literally, that also speaks to the importance of the research that needs to be done with this population, with migration issues, and the intersectionality, as you mentioned, also speaks to the requirement or need for social workers to work across different disciplines and in bettering the overall welfare of these population as well. And That's important in terms of interprofessional education, not just knowing what the social workers know, but across different disciplines like nursing and public health and 
medicine and, and so on and so forth. So I think that makes it more complicated, obviously, but also it makes it real. And I think that makes what the social work research viable for the next generation and the education that comes, the need for the information that can be gathered through the research can be applied to educating the next generation of social workers. And I think that's an important message to be had. So the last part of my question is, how can social work as a profession create opportunities so that we can move human rights agenda forward in terms of human migration issues, as, as you were mentioning earlier? Um, as a human rights profession, um, I think one option could be the use of the social development perspective, which can be a viable option to meet the increasing demands of human migration today. This can be one of the options because the social development perspective offers a way to transform both domestic and global social work practice. And when applied to social work practice with migrants, the social development perspective offers this empowerment, strength-based, asset-building perspective that's fully consistent with the social work values and knowledge. Social work development is essentially a system-based model in which new language and strategies are used and different issues, such as issues of social capital, asset-based policies, and human investment are increasingly coming in the area of human migration that are relatively new to social work and um, are currently on the margins of social work education and practice. And using the social work development perspective in social work, I think, would include all these new components offering greater possibility for global exchange and collaboration. And I believe that the human rights education and awareness is crucial to effective social work practice from this social developmental perspective. New, but the paradigms that we've been pushing for generations, and we need the right ways of uh, moving this agenda visible in our profession and making it necessary for us to be aware of them more and more with the kind of the issues that we just talked about. I think there are a lot of stuff that we can talk about, and there are a lot of uh, special interesting topics that offshoots from the kind of things that we started to talk about. Are there any other things that are important in social work education or social work research that you think needs to be addressed as part of responding to global migration or in terms of responding to those who are already here in in the United States and responding to the current social workforces who can and are uh, working with this population already? In addition to what I've mentioned before, I see one of the other areas where we could possibly make some strides is this inclusion of maybe the economic pedagogy in social work education, bringing in some economic aspects of things concerning human migration, because um, usually when we talk about human migration, it's normally connected with economic factors. So I think bringing that education in social work education, bringing those areas in social work education would also be very helpful as we prepare the next generation of social workers. So those are some of the questions that I have prepared. Do you have any lasting remarks that you want to address before we end the 
our conversation. I would like to say, as a social worker and somebody working in this area for, for a little bit now, from this social work perspective, as it's a human rights profession, I believe we need to work towards a goal where mobility should be encouraged because it has a lot of advantages. And in this interconnected world, um, it's something it's very inevitable. And so we should work in a comprehensive fashion in many different levels, in research and policy and practice and education to really make our presence felt in this area. That's an excellent suggestion. Well, thank you so much for talking with us about this very intriguing topic on global human migration. I learned a lot about how global migration issues is integral to social work education and practice and research. I look forward to encountering exciting research development on this issue from you and from other people who are working on this topic. Thank you so much for joining me and hope you all the best. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. You have been listening to a discussion on human migration with Arati Maleku. We hope that you enjoyed it. Please join us again at In Social Work. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, professor and dean of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu.